listen to these words from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. have a real treat for you. Uh, Susanna Atkins is going to be bringing the message today. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Susanna and why it is that we chose to invite her to be part of this today. Uh, when I first came to Trinity 15 years ago, one of the first people that I met uh, were Fred and Susanna Atkins. And one of the things that I thought was really cool about Susanna was that she used to live a rock star lifestyle. And I thought, wow, you know, anybody that lived a rock star lifestyle is an interesting character and I wanna get to know them. She was a contributor for Rolling Stone magazine. And what she used to do is she used to travel with the bands from the 70s and the 80s and get as much dirt on them as possible so she could write uh, things for the magazine. And as she was doing that, it was kind of part of her journey that God started speaking to her, and when she came to faith, you know, God never wastes anything, right? Do you know that? He never wastes anything. So anything from our past, anything that we've done, God will bring all of that together and use it for his glory. And soon after I came here, one of the things that I noticed about Susanna is that she has a passion for leadership development and training. And she started a 20s and 30-something ministry for women, and she started discipling them. And one of the things that we quickly learned about that particular group is these women were all thriving. They were growing. Uh, they were being discipled in a way that was really producing fruit, and we needed to take notes from that. And so since then, all of those women have gone on to do incredible things in leadership and are still serving around this church and around the city and around the world. And Susanna is now helping me to develop a leadership curriculum for our church at large, which has really been a blessing to me. In fact, our, our uh, elders are working right now on developing a discipleship strategy, and Susanna is helping me to do that as well. Uh, as you know, we are in this series right now called Living Large. And the idea behind this series, it's taking us through the book of Philippians, and it's learning to experience the life that God intended for us. And one of the things that keeps us from living the life that God intended is just the fact that we can't just be. We as New Yorkers feel that we need to be doing all the time, and that detracts 
from our ability to really connect with God and to grow in our relationship with Him. And so I asked Susanna, because she's really good at this stuff, to come and give a message about being and not doing. And so I'd like to introduce Susanna Atkins at this point. Oh my, <laughs> thank you, Jane. I am so honored and humbled to be up here this morning. As you can imagine, a lot of thought and prayer went into what I'm gonna be talking about today. And so I would like to present to you a musing on exactly 13 words in Philippians. Nice and short. Philippians 2:21. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In reading through Paul's deep gratitude for the love of Timothy and Epaphroditus in chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, these 13 words just leapt off the page for me. You know, and I started to get that that hot, burning feeling when I feel like I'm tuned into my God channel. And the thoughts just started coming and coming and coming. I may be here to teach, but God has something to say. So let me start off with my first takeaway from this chapter, okay? Philippians, one L, two P's. You're going to need to get that straight when you Google the verses. So to recap, Philippi was a city located in the northeastern part of Greece, which is now Macedonia. The Philippians were living in a vibrant, flourishing economy with many outside influences. All the details of Paul's time in Philippi can be found in Acts 16, 11 through 40. But what's important for us to see this morning is that he was concerned that this new church be united, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, as James taught last week. Paul wrote in chapter 2, verse 4, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now that's interesting. Because in verse 21, he brings this up again. For everyone looks out for their own interests. But now he references those of Jesus Christ. What are the interests of Jesus Christ that we should be looking to? Well, that's easy. That's the stuff we've been hearing about all our Christian lives. Love your neighbor. It's more blessed to give than receive. Go and make disciples. But tell the truth. Thinking about our interests versus his stirs up a lot of guilt and shame. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We're not willing to sell everything we own and go follow him. We think we're not doing what we should be doing, and that makes us feel bad. Sometimes bad enough to even give up entirely. This morning's message will deal with some of these shame issues and free us to be more fully his. So Jesus had many interests, but let's look at what I think was his main interest, to reconcile us back to the Father. 
We see this throughout the New Testament. Slide number two. 2 Corinthians 5.18 reads, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.19, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And then in Colossians 1.20, Through him, God reconciled everything. To himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. Did you realize, as Heidi said this morning, that God does not hold us accountable for our sins because of Christ's death on the cross? We are forgiven. As we heard in the scripture reading this morning, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came to earth allowed himself to be tortured, then executed to fulfill God's plan for redemption when he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. All of this to reconcile us back to the Father. So what does reconcile mean exactly? Merriam-Webster defines it as to restore to friendship or harmony. Well, isn't that nice? I don't think Christ went through what he went through to restore us to mere friendship with God. The Bible speaks too much of our brokenness and utter depravity. When a husband and wife reconcile after a painful separation, they want more than to just live together as mere friends. They want to establish their lost intimacy. Now, dictionary.com lists an act of reconciling as when former enemies agreed to an amicable truce. We're getting a little closer here, as scripture says in Ephesians 2, 13 and 16 at the bottom of the slide, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ with reconciliation to God in one body through the cross. Let me sound like our dear previous pastor, the Reverend Dr. Keith Boyd. <clears throat> Reconciliation comes from the Greek family of words that has its roots in alosso, with the common meaning of change or exchange. Reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between God and humans and between people. It assumes that there has been a breakdown in the relationship but now there's been a change from opposition, hostility, and brokenness to one of friendship and deep intimacy. So back to our verse in Philippians. How do we look after this interest of Jesus, his desire to restore us to intimacy with God that we lost in the Garden of Eden? Here is where we get off track, where the seeds of guilt and shame get sown. Admit it. 
When you hear a sermon that challenges us to just, you know, get closer to God, you hunker down and tell yourself, I need to read the Bible more, I need to pray more, I need to be reaching out to the poor and the oppressed, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, and then you're off to the races. You know, what is so believably hard is that the more we try to do our way to intimacy, the further we get, because we can't do ourselves into something we already have. Be, not do. That's our problem. We're so busy doing, we forget to be. Or maybe we're doing to be, to be forgiven, be blessed. We don't have to do for these things. We have them already in abundance. But Colossians 2, verse 10, you are complete in him. Ephesians 1, 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us. So it already exists, and it exists in Christ. We have everything we need to live holy and blameless lives right now. Look at the bottom of that slide. Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We don't have to do anything. He chose us. In fact, thinking we do is a total insult to everything Christ suffered on the cross because it's only through him that we are reconciled to the Father. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To get to these blessings, we have to go through Christ. Paul wants us to see that we are already in the presence of God, that we are right now as loved by the Father as we ever will be. Nothing, absolutely nothing will bring us closer to him other than the understanding that if you have accepted Christ's redemptive work through the cross, he lives in you right now through the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say as he was dying on the cross? It is done. It is finished. Accept Christ and you are accepted by God. End of story. That worship this morning was just so beautiful. I just feel ushered into the throne room of God, and I'm, I'm a little verklempt, as they say. It's his breath in our lungs. I mean, stop for a moment and think about that. Take a deep breath. Exhale. I mean, feel this. His breath in our lungs. The depth of the intimacy that 
Christ brings. Reconciliation. But our problem is that we don't know who we are in Christ. So we scramble around looking for our identity in what we do for him. This became really clear in my life at a previous church. I was deeply involved in what I considered to be a passionate Christian life. Went to services twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday. I led an 80-member youth group, and there were community outreaches on Saturday. I made sure I kept to my quiet time schedule, checking off the chapters as I read through my Bible through the year. Then, in 1994, my mother died. The church reached out to me for the wake and the funeral. But as I stayed home in mourning, the phone stopped ringing. I slowly came to realize that church life had gone on without me. People I thought were personal friends were actually ministry friends. And when ministry stopped, there was silence. I had completely identified myself by what I did for God, that I didn't know who he was in me. It was shortly after that I came to Trinity. I learned how to study the Bible and apply God's teaching to my life. And I made friends, true friends. It's the depth of these relationships, God, the friends, that have blessed my life the 24 years I've been a member here. Following Christ's commandments is good, but they must come from a connected heart or we're doing them in our own strength, exhausting and frustrating ourselves. Jesus says in John 15, 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself, unless it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Then again in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 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 Not some things, sometimes, nothing. If you aren't remaining in him, resting in his ability to work through you, being in him, you can do nothing. When I was sharing these thoughts with my husband, Fred, he asked the $64,000 question. So, what do I gotta do to be? Classic. But isn't this what you're thinking right now? Real relationship with God comes through listening to him. And the primary way to connect to God is through his word. Think of scripture as God's personal love letter to you, telling you how incredibly precious you are to him and how to live in him through obedience to his word. Okay, now, men, I know that precious may sound a little fluffy, so... Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.16 that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Every spiritual blessing to be affirmed in your inner man 
been numb. You have that right now. Many of us don't engage with regular Bible study because we feel we won't understand it. Yet, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that naturally includes the ability to comprehend and appropriate the truths of Scripture. When you open your Bible, do you just dive in and start reading with your mind half-focused on what you think you should be doing? Next time, stop and pray first for God to give you understanding into what you're about to read. And then enter his word with expectancy to hear from him. Slow down. He may want you to focus on a paragraph, a sentence, even a word, so that you can meditate on it throughout the day. Remember what Jesus said to Martha, who was distracted by all the things she had to do to feed Jesus and his disciples. These were totally valid things to be doing. But Jesus observed that she was worried and upset about many things. Martha was so busy thinking she had to feed Jesus, she forgot that he was there in her presence to feed her. Be, not do. Abiding, not striving. You're going to love this. You know, when I sat down to begin writing this sermon, I pulled out all my concordances and commentaries, my Bible dictionaries and my atlases. You could hardly see me at the table behind all the books. God tapped me on the shoulder and said, honey, you're not writing a term paper, you know? <laughs> Just sit with me a while and I'll give you everything you need to say. Full disclosure, this talk got written in two sittings. It was amazing. It just came out of me. You know, other than spell check, that was it. The Holy Spirit edited the whole thing. So pray through what you're reading. Remember John 15:5 about the vine and the branches? It can be as simple as this. Jesus, I totally believe that you are the giver of life and that my life flows from you. Help me to remain connected to you. I praise you that you will actually work through me to bless others. Help me to truly understand that I can do nothing without you. Bingo. That may be all he needs you to know from this verse. Can you imagine what it would be like if that prayer was uppermost in your mind all day long? When I'm stressed, I say, okay, be not do, you, not me. Be not do, you, not me. This helps me to refocus and stay centered on who's really in charge. One of the major themes in Philippians, as we're going to see over these next few weeks, is joy. Psalm 1611 tells us that in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. When we seek Christ through personal Bible study, just him and us, no devotionals, no podcasts, we see in John 1511 that he tells us these things so his joy may be in us and our joy may be complete. 
he has come to give us life and that we should have it to the full. This is living large. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes I just don't feel like reading scripture. I'm too busy in the morning. I mean, I prefer to binge watch before bed. You know, I beat myself up and I think I'm letting God down. What a terrible Christian I am. And the guilt just builds from there. Totally believing the lies Satan is whispering in my ear. But now, once I come to my senses and become aware that Satan's just playing with my head, I put worship music on in the background of my busyness. And the next thing I know, I am just stopping and soaking in his peace and love. I have reconnected to the vine. Now, it doesn't matter if you use Pandify or Spotadora or whatever apps you guys have got on your phone. Just, just get some worship music into your life, especially when you're feeling stressed or upset. Satan cannot be in the presence of praise. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point, well, Susanna, aren't we doing here? Isn't reading the Bible or listening to music a do thing? Well, remember what I said earlier? All our doing should be an outpouring of our being. So we are not chained to a treadmill of works, of always doing. Our desire is to draw closer to him. And let's not have it marred by the fear that we haven't done enough to deserve it. Be, not do. Anchor, not anxious. Let me end with a prayer from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you unblemished in his glorious presence with great joy. There's that word again. To the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all time and now and for all eternity. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.